Our readings today are from Psalm 139, 1 through 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and soul, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes behold my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is a little bit of a different kind of day. Y'all know if I'm pulling out notes, then it's a little bit of a different kind of day. This whole series, we've been tackling these big questions, these boulders that can sometimes stand in our way. We talked a little bit about what do you do when hope fails, this kind of question of hope and despair. And LM did a great job of talking about what if love isn't enough, this idea of love and loss and loneliness. And today, what if I'm not good enough? That's what we call a question of shame. Now, at the first service, when I said the word shame, the entire room sort of took a shift. Y'all are much better at covering. Well done. Shame, shame is, um, it is a little bit like a toilet, right? It's that thing that everybody has, but nobody wants to talk about, right? You, you need one in your house, but it's not really a conversation topic we deal with very often. Brene Brown, who's kind of the leading researcher in shame, good University of Houston professor, woot, local girl, she calls shame the swampland of the soul. I'm a good Louisiana girl. Some of you are from the Beaumont area. You know, swampland can be awfully pretty if you are on this side of the glass, right? Because on that side of the glass, there are lots of bugs and alligators, and it don't smell too nice. Shame is a tough place. It's not a pretty place. It's the kind of thing we like to keep hidden. And worse than that, even if we want to talk about it, it's kind of hard to talk about shame because it's one of those gut feelings, right? Shame is one of those things that everybody knows when they feel it, but it's really hard to define. 
The definition that Dr. Brown uses is, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and unworthy of acceptance. Sit in that for a moment, that feeling of believing that we are flawed and unworthy of acceptance. It's really important to note that R. My good English teachers in here can tell you that's a being verb, right? R. See, sometimes when we talk about shame, we get it confused with guilt. But there's a really important distinction between shame and guilt. Guilt is a feeling that comes out of something you've done. Guilt is about actions. And it's a really helpful feeling, right? Because guilt says, guilt is when we can stand and say, this is the kind of person that I am. And given the kind of person that I am, I shouldn't have talked to my friend like that. Or I shouldn't have cheated on that test. Or I shouldn't have lied about where I was. Guilt can say, I am this kind of person that did that thing, and I don't want to do that thing again. That wasn't the kind of person I am, so I'm going to do better. That's guilt. It's a great motivator for positive change. Shame, though, looks at the action and says, wow, I spoke to my friend like that, or I cheated on the test, or I lied. I must be a terrible person. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. And there is no way out of that trap. There is no getting better. In fact, for most people, all it does is create a cycle of unworthiness. It creates this feeling within us that we just want to pack up and hide away. It doesn't motivate change. It just makes us feel worse and worse and worse about who we are. Even more than that, it makes us feel really bad in a way that we don't want to share with other people. It creates this wall of isolation. Now, believe it or not, shame has been with us forever. Um, there are two kinds of people, those who have shame and sociopaths. Choose which camp you want to be in. Like, that's it, right? Everybody's got it. Nobody wants to talk about it. If you don't have it, there are other kinds of therapy we can do. So everybody has shame. But in this day and age, I promise you that social media has turned this up to like 11, right? right think about it. If you have a really terrible day, if you feel awful about yourself, those of you who have Facebook, do, do you go post that on Facebook? I don't know about your Facebook feed, but my Facebook feed is like pictures of babies, videos of cats, and scripture quotes. Like, that's it. That's what I see all day, every day. Babies, cats, and scripture, which is a wonderful, happy place, but it's probably not the whole picture of our lives. And when it's the only picture that we see, it's easy to start to feel like we're the only ones whose lives aren't filled with babies, cats, and scripture. It's that isolation. 
It's that loneliness. It starts to create a culture where it is not good enough to just live an ordinary life. We get so obsessed with the extraordinary, right? YouTube is great for showing you the extraordinarily cool thing. Patrick and I are children of the 90s, right? Everything had to be extreme. It had to be over the top. And along the way, in all of that noise, we've lost the idea that ordinary is okay. Somewhere along the way, ordinary came, the ordinary life came to be the meaningless life. And the truth is, that's not how the world really is. Shame gives us these messages. It runs that tape in our head that say you're not doing enough, you're not good enough, you're not special enough. And it runs that tape so long and so loud that it starts to turn even wonderful things into difficult moments. When Dr. Brown was doing her research, her first group of interviews, the kind of first four years, were just women. And it was really interesting. Do you know when she talked to these women um, what one of the worst triggers of shame was for them? Over and over across multiple women in multiple stages of life, one of the things that came back was Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Because they would tell these stories that they would be sitting there, they'd have the family gathered around, they've got the special Mother's Day flower on, and they should feel wonderful and special and bright, and they look at their kids and all they can think about is the recitals that they've missed, or the tests their kids have failed, or the time they've had to yell at them, or the time they fussed at their husband for not doing the dishes, or worse, they want children and don't have them. They've made a choice not to have children and feel judged for that. The man they loved left. And it just starts playing this, this moment, this moment that should be wonderful and bright and celebrate all that is good in our ordinary lives triggers that shame tape in the back of their head telling them that they're not good enough. I think when we've gotten to a place that we can do that to women, we have a problem, don't you? And if that doesn't signal for you that we might have a problem, how about this? The research says that uh, the adult, the current sort of adult generations, like 25 to, we'll say 85, we can push it further, but the current adult generations are the most overweight, in debt, and addicted in history. We are the most overweight, in debt, and addicted people in history. Because we hear that tape, right? And you don't wanna to listen to that. <laughs> That's, that's scary, that doesn't make you feel good. So, so what do we do? We come home and we turn on the television or we grab the glass of wine or this is Texas so we get the chips and queso, right? Warm cheese does good things for the soul. Or we buy something new and cute. That's just the socially acceptable addictions. It doesn't cover the billions of dollars spent every year on adult entertainment and illegal drugs. We're the most overweight, in debt, 
addicted people in history, I think we have a problem. Some psychologists even call it an epidemic. We don't know how to deal with shame. Now remember I said everybody's got shame. You, you don't get to opt out of having it. If you do, there's no problems. Everybody's got shame. The problem is we don't know how to deal with it. See, this is how shame works. Shame, if you could take it and think about it like a, like a pathogen, like a bacteria, right? You go to the doctor, they swab the back of your throat, they put it in the Petri dish to see what's wrong with you. If you could do that with shame, if you could swab it out and put it in a Petri dish, you would feed it on silence and fear, and it would grow and grow and grow and burp out blame and anger all day long. Every time we feel bad and we pack it away and we shove it to the back of our heads, we feed it silence and fear, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Everybody does this to some extent. I think shame gets fed a lot on what I like to call the A-side, B-side dynamic, right? So A-side is the shiny, pretty stuff that we show to the world. Now, I don't, you know, I can't speak for my house, but I'm sure that your house looks like a crate and barrel catalog, right? Everything <laughs> is packed up, it's in color-coded tubs, you've put it on the shelf with the label maker, yes? Yes, Crate and Barrel's really good at this. Or the Ikea catalog. Yes, they make 400 square feet look like a palace. I want to live in 400 square feet. Oh wait, I've done that, it's not fun. Don't. <laughs> yes, it's the shiny, beautiful side. It's the stuff you do put on Facebook or Instagram. It's the selfies we take that we then retouch so they can look like the magazine that's been photoshopped to within an inch of its life. Right? Nobody, we all know nobody actually looks the way they look in a magazine. None of that is real. The A side is what we want to show the world, and the B side is the mess that's kind of going on behind the scenes. The trouble is, we see everybody's A side all day long and forget that they too are living a B side. We start to think that we're the only ones. I'm sure you've lived this phenomenon. Um, I, I sort of relate to it a lot because I have an A-side, B-side kind of life. So I can tell the story this way. Um, when I was in high school, I was a pretty smart kid. I was at the top of my class. I was head cheerleader by my senior year. I had a steady boyfriend. We'd been together a long time. I got a full tuition scholarship to a private, uni to a private college. Sorry. Um, I carried a 4.0 for seven semesters with a major and a minor. And when I decided to go to seminary, they called me to offer me money. Now, I tell that story that way, and I sound really cool, right? And it, that is the A side, right? I can make it sound good and shiny and pretty. And if that was the reality, I would probably be a much more well-adjusted person. Because see, I know that, that there's a B-side to that. I know that those cheerleaders hated me and made my life miserable. I know that by the time I was a sophomore, I was already experiencing depression and anxiety. I know that that boyfriend was abusive in a number of ways. And that by the time I was a freshman in college, I almost had to take a semester off because my anxiety attacks were literally debilitating. There were days I couldn't get out of bed. 
But I sort of ignored it and stuffed it down because A side is good, right? So when it caught up with me again in seminary, I did have to take time off. I lost my scholarship. I had to work really, really hard to finish a three-year degree in four years. Everybody has an A-side that they want the world to see. And we forget that we're living in the mess of the B-side. And so we just want to be this. And we start to hear that voice that says, you are not as good enough, as smart enough, or as lovable as people think you are. And one day, they're gonna figure that out. And you're gonna lose everything. That's a powerful voice. And we feed it on our fear, and we stuff it away and give it silence, and it just gets bigger. But you see, if, if we have it in a Petri dish, if fear and silence are what feed shame, what kills it, our openness and empathy. To share it. To put yourselves out there. But I don't know about you, that's a fairly terrifying proposition. To show people the mess behind the wall. To let them see that it's not all perfect and put together all the time. And we're sold on the fact that we should be perfect all the time. And I do literally mean sold, right? Um, so my, perfect, my, my personal favorite at the moment is the Verizon commercials. Have you seen these with the two people? They both get the same phone or the same apartment, or the, but one of them has Verizon and their life is wonderful and one of them doesn't and they're an awkward nerd and you shouldn't be like that. <laughs> uh, the Rob Lowe commercials for um, Comcast take this to a whole other level, right? There is bright, shiny, cool Rob Lowe who has Comcast and then there's Dish Rob Lowe. You don't want to be like Dish Rob Lowe, right? He's got like the receding hairline and the paunch and no friends. Right? Okay, so we laugh because it feels funny, but that's feeding that voice, right? It's doing that. We get sold it every time we see the shiny catalog, or ladies, we're close to Mother's Day, the um, undergarments that will push up, tuck in, suck, you know? Yes, we all own them. Let's just be honest for a second. We get sold this bill of goods, and I'm really sorry, because the church has done it too. We have sometimes sold a bill of goods. Think about it. Have you heard this story told this way? God created the world and said it was very good. It was a beautiful garden. But people were messed up and they just couldn't keep their stuff straight long enough. So they screwed up and they broke it and we are all dealing with the consequences. And it's only because of Jesus' death that we will ever be worth anything. We tell that story some way, or some churches tell that story some ways. But I know you all are good Bible scholars. And so you know that while there is some truth in that story, that's not actually what Genesis says. I implore you at some point, go back and read Genesis 3. Because when God walks in the garden, the people are indeed ashamed. And the first thing God does is deal with that shame. 
God never inflicts the shame. That is a symptom of brokenness, and the first thing God does is express how broken God's heart is, that they know shame, and he deals with it. They're ashamed because they're naked. God makes clothes. The first thing God does is deal with the shame. And then every question that God asks after that, who told you that you were, who gave you the fruit, what did you do? Verbs are important, right? Are those being verbs? Those are action verbs. Those are things that we do. Those are guilt questions. And guilt motivates change. Those are things that say, that's not who I created you to be. You made a mistake. The only time there are being verbs in that story is when God says, it is good. God has never been in the business of shame. Not then, not now. God has never, never, never been in the business of shame. See, because when we lay Genesis 3, this creation story, alongside Psalm 139, which is very much a creation kind of story, what is the picture we get? When I knit you together in your mother's womb, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, God knows we make mistakes, right? I love the first line of this psalm, Psalm 139. The New Revised Standard says, you have searched me and you've known, right? In Hebrew, it is, you searched me and you know. You know. And there is really, for the whole kind of first couple of stanzas, there is this tension between you know everything the A side, the B side, and the really ugly stuff we don't want to talk about. You know all of it, and it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how perfect I can seem, how much I pack it up. If I try and ship that stuff down to Shoal, you're still gonna know it. And you're still gonna be there. You're still with me. There is this dawning realization that as terrifying as it can be to be open and vulnerable about the stuff we'd rather hide, God is there with us in the midst of it and still says, all the days of your life, I know and I love. All the things that you are, good and bad, I know and I love. And I'm not so concerned with you putting up the perfect image it's time to let go of who you think you're supposed to be. I'd rather you be the person that I knit together. Let go of what you've been told and be who I created you to be. Openness, empathy, for shame, these are like bleach. It's like dumping it down. That moment that we realize there is nowhere we can go to get away from God, and that's a good thing. The moment we realize that we live in a community that knows that and is capable, though they will make mistakes, of seeing us as the fearful, wonderful creatures that we are, and we can share those places of hurt and shame, that's the moment that we get the courage to get out of the swamp. Everybody has shame. Nobody wants to talk about it. But you have to let go of the image of the false perfect 
get the courage to be just as God created you to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take the next step in their faith journey with Christ. Now right now, some of you may be feeling like I just asked for a giant leap. Yes, overcoming shame, living into who you were created to be is a lifelong process. The good news is we are Methodists. We believe in going on toward perfection. That's a preacher joke and I should stop telling it. I should have learned my lesson at first service. We do, we go on toward perfection, we call it sanctification, and we never, never, never do it alone. So if you need a group that you would like to walk with, talk with, be vulnerable with, we have wonderful grow groups that meet on Sunday morning at 9.45. There is a group that is meeting on Thursday evenings at seven at Mike Heather's house. There's also a new one starting. I did apologize to the Atneps for this being their starting place. They are starting tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at the Atneps house. Find a circle of friends who can help you overcome those boulders to your faith journey. If you're looking for a more practical next step, a, an immediate concrete, as you walk outside, you will see these green bags hanging on the tree, right? Rhonda mentioned that our tomatoes will be going to the feeding ministries in the area. The green bags are bags that we offer for you to take home this week and bring back on our second Sunday food drive to share, to help others know that they too are fearfully and wonderfully made and loved by their creator. All of that being said, we will conclude with our final song. David Hill's gonna come forward. It's in the little hymnal, the little black one, number 2218, You Are Mine. I will come to you in the silence. I will lift you from all your fear. This is the God that we serve. No matter where this week takes you, when you go out from this place, know that God is there and present, sees all the good, all the bad, and all the ugly, and loves you too. Share that love with someone who might need to hear it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.